Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. It feels like it's been so long since we've done a real episode like this. And by that, I mean a deja vu, Janine. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were like sarcastically or jokingly saying it's been a while since we've done a Western. No, because I've, I've, I've been saying that and, and it officially hasn't now because we're doing this little uh, little series of Westerns, aren't we, as we uh, as it seems to be because the last two weeks we have done Westerns as well. We, we decided to get a little train going. Yeah. And round out, I think, the entire month with a bunch of westerns, just to just to f- fill some gaps, just to you know plug yeah, some train. holes. And all that kind of stuff. <laughs> train is a good word. Did you mean to <laughs> say? That? Yes, I've used I've used that word several <laughs> times already in the last few weeks for uh, for an analogy of the westerns we are covering but i do mean a deja vu because it's been ages since it well it feels like it's been ages since we've done a real deja vu and certainly a deja vu of this magnitude yes this is uh we've done pretty much a, a lot of smaller things i think lately are are new things to us um so yeah we're kind of diving into a very populous known film with this one i think i think so and i mean i think doubly so because of its remake that came 50 years later because we're talking about 310 to yuma today the original 1957 movie with glenn ford and it's nice to have glenn ford back on the main show we do love glenn ford we do and a Deja Vu with its 2007 remake with Christian Bale and Russell Crowe uh, in what I thought was a really very worthwhile remake, a remake that changed some things very noticeably. It had a completely different style, a completely different outlook to the uh, to the 57 version. And I think it worked really well in that particular movie i think it's a very very well made movie but then what would you expect from somebody like james mangle yes i forgot i forgot that was him um but yes i think a testament to a good remake is making it feel necessary by not just you know scene by scene repeating what the original did um you know you have the essence of that you maybe have some familiar elements but you kind of go your own way with it or tell a part of the story or tell it a a little bit of a different way to make it feel warranted um so i know you know we don't usually get that on deja vus it's maybe the same thing just told not as well with just some filler elements that don't really add anything to the story but i think this really took its own turn with a lot of things and even changed some uh, characterizations of our of our characters for sure so yeah, yeah significantly really i mean it, it kind of it adds more depth to some characters makes them completely different um one ends up being the real real villain of that remake yeah rather than <clears throat> what you get in in the original which is kind of by the end pretty hopeful real villain yeah. Mm-hmm. 
by the end. Uh, it's a very, very interesting remake situation we've got going on here, which is why I'm excited to get into this discussion today. Because I think this Western, 310 to humor, I'm, I'm talking about the 57 version now, is... Well, it's another example of, of, I think, the variation in Westerns than what we've had the last couple of weeks. Say, obviously, we, we had Destry Rides again. Yeah. Which was a, a silly, quite, you know, madcap Western. Yes, it had its heavy emotional moments in there, but it wanted to be kind of a pure entertainment yeah. uh, of a movie. Last week was the kind of sweeping understatedness of the man from Laramie which was a very very beautiful to look at western um having all these seedy things happen kind of underneath the surface of this particular town yeah and with these particular people this is more kind of the westerns i am very drawn to okay. because here we have a Western that feels more like a noir. Not only because of its aesthetic, I think it's, a lot of the lighting yeah. in this movie is very, very noir-like. It's, it's incredibly shadowy. It's the typical kind of um, insecure lighting, I suppose. <laughs> say, which is yeah. just, does it want to be showing things? Does it not want to be showing things? Who knows? And does that mirror these characters perfectly? I think, yes, it does. That's why that lighting's used so often in those movies, and I think it's used wonderfully in this one. And we're dealing with characters Very here. Very grey characters, who... yeah. Incredibly grey characters. I mean... Glenn Ford's playing the supposed villain of this movie, yes. which I do just find fascinating <clears throat> anyway, because it's an against-type role for Glenn Ford. He is most often the... Even if he's not always entirely a nice person, he's never the, really the villain or he's very rarely yes. the villain of his movie. He'll Which is why I think he works so well in... antagonist. Yeah. But it's uh, it's really interesting to me to see him playing against type like this, quite quietly ruthless. I mean, he's got a wonderful, quiet intensity to him anyway, and that's what I really love about Glenn Ford. He's able to kind of put you off guard with a smile and almost charm you into doing something you don't want to do. And yeah, I don't or... mean that in like a in a horrible, nasty, manipulative way. I just mean like a um He can disarm you a little bit. He can disarm you, yeah. And he is very much the perfect person to play this character once we kind of know the arc that they're gonna have. So they are he he's playing villainous pretty well but there's also like you said that charm and uh something that maybe endears you to him a little bit or you know when you see him do something um on the kinder side it's not a huge shock to you it it no. feels it feels organic and it feels like it makes sense yeah because of like who we know him to be typically in in movies 
it feels like you do want to get to know him. You do want to be friends with him, no matter what. Um, I always, I always get that impression from Glenn Ford. Really, like I said, even when he's playing characters that are that do do pretty nasty things, and we do see him. Obviously, well, yeah, and he's I got think a criminal gang. He is, you know, he he plays he's ben this Wade. big, he yeah, this big named villain, and I think this is something that separates it from. Russell Crowe's version of the character um, and also I think speaks to you know what we're talking about in terms of the arc that he goes on and him having this endearing quality is the fact that even though he is our villain he does seem to have this code um, yes and Russell Crowe doesn't really have that code so um, definitely Seemingly not no yes like, so kind of when we get to the end like with, with the remake I was very much curious to see uh, if that turn was even going to happen or if we were going to get any kind of positive energy from uh, Russell Crowe's version because he seemed just so um, ruthless. Whereas yeah. um, Glenn Ford seemed very, uh, you know, only doing things uh, that he had to do. If he could get away without, you know, killing somebody or harming anybody, um, then that's kind of the route he would take. So yeah, he didn't, he's, he he's only going to, want to go. Yeah, he's only going to go as far as he has to go, and so I think that speaks to uh, kind of the more positive turn he takes later in the film, uh, for sure. And us, you know, seeing some type of good in him because you know from the start, you know, this kind of first heist that we see him do, um, you know, he he definitely sticks to. Um, a set of rules for himself and his gang so yeah he you know rides up to him i think there's about 12 of them in this gang in total something like that there's quite a number um but he 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 rides up to this stagecoach at the beginning of the movie robs the stagecoach but does it almost very pleasantly in a in a sense of i don't want to harm anybody here i'm just I just want what's on top of that coach, please. Thank you. Can I just have that, please? Yes, that's why we're here. Yes, no, I don't don't start anything because I don't want to. Have to <laughs> I do don't want to have to do. Yeah, none um, of us want to have to do anything we don't want to do. So please, just give us what. We, and these are the. This is what I said before. This is why it feels very, uh, very much like a noir western to me because. You have these criminal characters who are seemingly just doing things because, like you said, because they have to do them for some other reason. They're not doing it because they want to necessarily do it. They're doing it because they're almost forced into that life. And that is so much more interesting to me than just somebody who is a ruthless criminal purely ruthless, ruthless yeah not yes. to say not to say that russell crowe's version of ben wade wasn't an interesting man i think he certainly was he's just a different characterization there i think he's kind of more i, I think he's almost more content with being a criminal than glenn ford's version is because i really think 310 to humor is the original, uh, a, a movie and a story that seems to be about 
understanding different journeys in life, understanding different ways of life, understanding different people, getting over your own version of what you think things should go like and yeah having mutual respect for somebody that you 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 never thought you would have and I think that goes for both elements that certainly I think goes for Glenn Ford to Van Heflin but it definitely does go for Van Heflin who is our second lead here to Glenn Ford who Van Heflin is our down on his luck rancher. He's completely broke. The you know he's got a family. He's struggling. Does this sound familiar? Because we did talk about <laughs> Shane about six weeks ago. Yes, very um, similar family dynamic to the one he had in that film. It really, it really is. Except there's another child. There's yes. not just one child. Um, and that's something I found very interesting in comparing the two movies. Oh, in the remake, the, his son played a, such. He kind of stepped in for the wife, but also, I mean, oh, can I just <laughs> talk about how Logan Lerman was just like getting on my damn nerves? He's such a I brat. Think, <laughs> I think I think it's a strange move because, yes, like you said in the in the in the remake. It's Logan Lerman playing Christian Bale's oldest son, who, for a lot of this movie, like you said, almost steps into the character of what um, the of what Van Heflin's wife, who if it was played by uh, Leora Dana or Dana, in the original, steps yeah. into those steps into that characterization from from the original and that seems it seems unusual to me because logan lerman seems to hate his dad yes there's all there's a whole side plot of him just kind of uh being very hateful towards his father and you know telling him he's not good enough and basically kind of calling his dad a loser like at least van heflin's kids like him Yes. I mean, the, the like, I think they, in the remake, decided to branch off of a little bit that we got in the original. Because, I mean, um, uh, Glenn Ford takes uh, Van Heflin's cattle to use as a, and releases them as a type of distraction. So even that is another part of kind of his moral code or his, you know, uh, code of I guess gang ethics that he even says I'll give you back your cattle I just needed them for this distraction so you know he's not even trying to like take this man's cattle or mess with him in any way he just needed it for what he needed it for and and uh, gives him back his cattle and his horses and everything so the son kind of makes a couple comments about like my dad's gonna do this to you dad how come you're not stopping him dad how come you're not doing this how come you're not standing up to him so there we get a couple lines from the son you know just wondering why that heffling's not doing anything um well yeah but i mean in and then in the remake they they kind of take that a step further to where you know he thinks his dad's kind of a loser for not really standing up for for them or you know, doing more to fight back in situations. Well, this, I mean, this is what I mean. I, I don't know if it's because they slightly age up the oldest son in the remake. Obviously, you've got 
Logan Lerman in there, who's a, a decent actor, but I don't think he works in in this type no, of he was western. To be my honest with you, like, I don't. <laughs> I don't think he looks. I don't know. Looks like he belongs in yeah. a western. To be honest with you, and I think a lot of a lot of people in that remake actually, because it's such an aesthetically different movie. The original is obviously it's black and white. It's quite a almost closed in movie. I think it's a at times quite a claustrophobic movie because really the story is about um, Dan Evans, who is is Van Heflin and Christian Bale, kind of just desperately needing money, so ends up ends up kind of helping this town's marshals and, and Pinkerton agents capture. Ben Wade, and they make a plan to send him out on this 310 train to Yuma um, that is in, like, two days' time or something like that. Yes, so they sneak him out of town and, you know, yeah. try to hide him so that his gang doesn't know where he's been taken. Exactly. So and the entire movie is... Dan and Ben kind of attached to each other, not being able to, you know, get away from each other because of, you know, Dan has to do this. He wants, he desperately needs the money well, to pay him. But, and, and, and he becomes kind of, he becomes a little bit overdriven to actually just see the job done as well. Like he's not yes. willing to just when it when it becomes dangerous when it becomes a set a case of the wade gang finding really them really coming yeah. after them really stepping up their kind of violent intentions to to try and get ben out from being captured and, and sent away to you know to eventually you suppose be kind of put on trial and probably hanged at this point because of the criminal nature of him he still doesn't want to just take the money and go he really does feel like he has he has this obligation now he has this role now it's almost as well a movie about almost finding your worth because i think dan evans feels very very useless i think he feels very very um worthless i yeah. got that a lot more from christian bale and i think christian bale's always good at playing well yeah because kind he of really i don't know downtrodden dirty grimy kind of <laughs> yes and for most of the movie his version has a injury like he has a, a missing leg so um that just on top of the situation with his family we see his barn getting burned because he owes some debts um and then of course every other scene his son is telling him he's he's the worst so um i think that definitely speaks to um him having this uh mission to kind of redeem himself they did actually do it a bit different in both films I think I kind of preferred the original in the fact that Dan didn't want to go. Um, he was asked because he was a good shot. 
and he yeah. kind of says no i don't want anything to do with this um and then the money is offered to him and they're kind of begging him and asking him to do it so there's that reluctance already from the start but in the remake uh christian bales dan volunteers to go so yeah. I mean, how do how do you feel about that kind of change do you think it well that's um, because like informs like the character differently it definitely does because christian bale comes across like he has to prove himself i think and that's that's perfectly good for that movie it, it makes total sense for that version of the movie i don't think van heflin feels like you know the dan that needs to prove himself i feel i feel like he feels like the dan that needs to protect his family as best he can i don't actually think christian bale seems to care much about his actual family <laughs> it's very it seems it's like it's something he has to prove to himself and maybe to his son who's just been like yeah. shit talking him the whole time but maybe um, this is because we get barely anything with christian bale's wife and we do get a little bit with van heflin's so there's yes. more of a understanding or mature understanding about their familial situation yes and i think that's maybe why i felt van heffling's kind of um are you putting an extra g sorry Heflin, sorry <laughs> his that's why i felt his drive to do it despite the odds against him more than i did christian bales because christian yeah. bales felt very much i need to do this to prove something to myself whereas van heflin was very much like um, I need to do this for my family. I'm here and I've come this far. You know, I, I'm going to get this done regardless really of what that means. To, really quite similar to his character in Shane that does everything so very reluctantly and yeah. just only when he needs to do it. To step up, he'll step up. And even you think when his wife shows up and begs him not to go through with it, um, that would be enough. You know, he has an out. Butterfield, the guy whose coach got robbed and is kind of helping him uh, run this whole mission. Uh, once, you know, they are kind of overrun by the gang and they have no help and it's just the two of them. Butterfield's like, I'll just give you the money. This I can't ask you to do this. It's not safe. He has his wife begging him not to do it. It's not safe. But something drives him. Like, he does not want... Uh, um, you know, our bad guy to win. He's come this far. So I feel that more. I feel the noble no the nobleness in in his action more. I feel the driving him to just do what is right. Um, and that's, you know, I think we talked about it last week, the very much like surface level, I always think Westerns have a clear good and bad, but then you kind of brought it to my attention. No, there is a lot of gray in Westerns and it kind of gave me this epiphany, like you're right. Um, but I think in this moment, he's seeing it as a very clear good and bad. He's seeing that in himself that he needs to do this, you know, because he doesn't Absolutely. want the bad to win. Um, and I think Absolutely. also- I think the characters, the characters in, in these gray Westerns always feel- they are exactly they are diametrically opposite but the fact is we know watching it they're absolutely <laughs> they're not. very great yes that's what's interesting that's what's you know doubly interesting um and it, i think it doesn't it doesn't help that mentality from from 
really both versions of Dan. Certainly, the, I think the the original version of Dan, when he's so adamant that Ben's a bad guy, when really, apart from the stagecoach robbery, in which, if I'm not mistaken, Ben doesn't actually do anything or does or is he he does um i think driver i think one of his guys gets out of line and like grabs the stagecoach driver and it's like this whole standoff and one of his guys yeah one of his guys is too impulsive and ends up i think killing the stagecoach guy so then he ends up killing i i can't remember if he kills the stagecoach guy for killing the the or that his guy kills the the stagecoach driver and so ben kills him for just being out of hand and not you know jumping the gun yeah maybe maybe i'm confusing it with the remake because i think that definitely yes because yeah he he ends up killing one of his guys for for messing up in the stagecoach so yeah i don't know if i'm remembering it right now but well ultimately i think after that original stagecoach robbery glenn falls ben wade doesn't do anything wrong at all. Yes, yes. Um, you know, he, him and his gang end up in in uh, Dan's town, and they're at the bar hanging out, and then they actually do report the crime, like it wasn't them. Um, yeah. And uh, Ben ends up kind of, uh, you know, seducing the local barmaid, and just well, another because he point. used to know her. That's yeah. why. Um. But that, and, that did seem to happen very quickly as oh, well. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and so to the point where, yeah, she's, you know, kind of, she didn't realize, I don't think it was him, because she's there when they report this whole situation. And even when she finds out that it was them and, and a, a guy got killed because of them and all of this stuff, she's still just like, cool. <laughs> see you when she's, I see you, Ben. She she's very she's much like, Hi, ben. about it. Yeah. And he's like, I'll send you some pearls, baby. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I think this is taken, that that tiny little bit of a romance angle you get kind of a third of the way through this movie is taken a little bit more extremely in, in, in the remake, given the fact you get some sort of really sensual scene with Russell Crowe. Yeah. And I forget who's playing Emmy. In yeah, the it's remake. that girl from it's the girl from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but in in the original, I mean that that the scene of them reporting their own crime is is very interesting, but it's played so differently in both movies. In that original, they're all they all kind of walk into this very desolate bar when nothing's happening and it feels quite threatening but then they just all kind of sit there and have a drink and start kind of trying to make casual conversation yeah, with, with Emmy the barmaid yeah um i i like it that it feels quietly threatening i mean there's there's only music when there really needs to be in this movie as well i think it plays with quietness yeah. And silence quite cleverly to get you very, you know, very drawn in, very feeling very intense. I actually think, again, here's a real aesthetic difference I noticed in the two movies. 
I think the original is a very sweaty movie, and <laughs> the the remake's a very dusty, dry movie. Okay. Now that you say that, yeah. There's an awful lot of sweaty, clammy kind of claustrophobia, I think, yeah. in that original. I think that would have been heightened had they, you know, filmed it in, um, or, or had the, you know, the movie been in 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 four to three aspect ratio. You know, the the more square format, yeah, rather than kind of full full screen because it's 1957. We've kind of generally moved on in aspect ratio terms at this point. We we've widened ourselves yeah. in aspect ratios. Most westerns at this point are certainly made in color. Most westerns at this point are something that looks more like the the man from Laramie or Shane than they look like this movie, yeah. which is you know uh, like I said a, a kind of closed in kind of movie. Uh, um, uh, almost minimally set movie um but i feel there is a tightness to it and i mean that in terms of what's going on on screen the movie itself the original movie is only like 92 minutes long or something like that it, it, it's a, yeah it's like an hour a really, and a half. Yeah. it's a really very it feels quite a tight movie. I don't think... I think there's elements that aren't necessarily drawn out, but do allow you to sit a little bit. Well, Because I yeah. think it's ultimately... It's a character movie about two people becoming almost understanding with each other. That's the point of 310 to You. Yes, and I mean... Movie there's a ticking clock and i don't know that i felt i don't know that i felt the ticking clock as much in the first one or in in the remake i definitely felt the ticking clock and like you said the sweatiness and the intenseness and the yeah. build up in the original a lot more i think than i did in the remake um because they had you know very i think it's almost written as a as a screenplay better than the remake is i think the remake's a, a really good movie i think it's got really great things going for it that are actually i suppose more enjoyable than the remake i think the action in it's got more action in the remake well yeah there's shootout situation in the remake and yes. that's always very exciting i think the change up with ultimately who ends up being the real villain of the movie in the remake is a very very interesting difference to that original but like i said the 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 sweaty tightness of that original really just emphasizes this we can't get away from each other aspect of this yes because they're forces them together yes they're stuck in this hotel room and ben is egging him on for for this whole kind of long runtime waiting for the train to come so very cleverly i mean this is perfect glenn ford in just playing these little games with himself he's got a glimmer in his eyes just like i know i'm getting to you but i'm gonna keep going I'm going to keep doing it. This is too fun for me, even though yes, I'm really the having... one in capture here. Yes, he's having like fun Dan's just messing with Dan. Yeah. yeah, it seems like Dan's the one being mentally captured. You know, Ben might be physically captured, but Dan's the one 
kind of on edge all the time. Yes, and our Russell Crowe version, he was not really relishing in it like that. He was more just serious. And I think all of the scenes of him just trying to get away, like on the trip, there was a lot going on on the trip to get to where the, you know, to to where they were going to wait for the train. Um, and so I think that kind of, took away from the tight pacing and the ticking clock aspect of the film um, because there's like a whole posse with Dan in, in the remake making this trip to get him to this town where, where the, the train's coming and one by one Ben does something to kill them or pick them off to where now it's only uh, two guys left so um, and then we have our kind of standoff in the town and they try to recruit people to help. And yeah, then then ultimately they're like, no, this is too much for us. We're going to leave. But I liked that nobody's getting picked off in the original until we get to the town. And then we have people getting killed. And then we have our people very much like, no, this is, this situation's too dangerous. I'm getting out of here. So it's just seeing kind of like all of our guys get picked off on the road along the way and Ben just doing more terrible things. Um, it really had me kind of questioning where this redemption was going to come in because ultimately something happens with the character and there's kind of a, um, a relatable situation or a relatable moment between our two characters that leads to, to a resolution at the end. But I was very much worried that like, how were we going to get that in with the remake version? Because Ben is constantly just like killing people and trying to escape. And uh, you know, there's um, he, he's just way more brutal. And so I was really, he is, not expecting the the change that he goes through to really um be felt as deep as in the original i i think i think the original is a it's, it's a more straightforward movie and i think that is to its benefit because like i said ultimately i think it wants to be a movie about two opposing opposing the attitude men understanding each other or getting a little bit of mutual understanding which you can you know then take outside into the movie into your real life and have this message of you know all these people who you might think are completely the opposite of you you're all human beings so try and find common ground really i think that's what this story is it's try yeah. and find common ground as a message um the the remake is a little bit more of a complex movie it's certainly not a complex movie but it, it's got more going on because really you have a third main character who we haven't really talked about yet who's ben foster who i think works so well in westerns because oh I yeah think he, looks, <laughs> he looks like he belongs in 1880 yeah. And I don't know if it's just the way, because I've, uh, I've seen him in, in, in a few Westerns now. I don't actually think I've actually seen him in one, in a true Western, and I mean that in the sense of a, a Western set in the Old West. 
Yeah. I think he's often playing grimy, kind of edgy characters in that part of the world in modern day. But yeah. maybe not, you know, maybe this is the first time I think I've actually seen him in a true Western. But he he's so he's made up to be so dirty, his teeth are disgusting. He is just a horrible completely unethical person yeah he's kind of like the second command of the gang and um, but he's 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 on edge he's completely yeah this man should have any sort of command or anything like that he's completely unhinged and i really like that about him because i really think ben foster's always able to play that so yeah because so well i think does it really well in this movie but this and is he... what i wanted to talk about before in the difference between the um the, the reporting of the crime scene because in the original it's quite kind of almost pleasantly done by everybody yes they know that they're the ones who have committed the stagecoach robbery but they're obviously not letting on to that yeah. until Dan comes and actually tells them what's going on. But in the remake, I'm I'm pretty sure anybody would suspect after it Ben Foster tells them yeah. that it was Ben Foster who committed the crime because he gives this dirty, horrible, evil-looking smile as soon as he Yes, does. and very just long pauses and, like, very shady answers. Like, he, it's clear they did it, and he's not really, uh, it's not any concern of him to try to even hide that. So, um, he really just does not care. And I think there's even a later scene where um, he kind of gets into an argument with another member of the gang who, um, kind of doesn't want to do things his way and so yeah. he ends up just like killing him um so we yeah don't really get an equivalent character in the original because the rest of his gang is just kind of the rest of his gang and they're kind of all trying to yeah i mean he has his right hand guy out. who's kind of the main one who's you know has his back 100 percent who who is the one who ends up finding them in the town who kind of arranges yeah. everybody and but so but not he's not he's not kind way. of he's not intensely going rogue and killing people without this any say so he's still a on your say so type of guy yeah. um and and I will say that also speaks to uh this code that uh, Glenn Ford's version has with you know he has a plan in place um you know when they do get to the town he's very much like um, oh, you know, we have a guy ride off and wait in every town. So no matter what, yeah. there's always going to be one guy to to get word back to the gang and bring us all here. So he's already kind of prepared for these scenarios and situations. So it just shows like he plans ahead. He thinks things through. He's not like the Ben Foster character who's kind of just all over the place or even Russell Crowe who's very much, you know, do whatever you got to do to survive. Like, I'm just going to, I think they're on the way to town. Yeah, they like one of the guys who's very antagonistic with him is sleeping by the fire and everyone wakes up to Russell Crowe just stabbing him in the neck and killing him with a fork. Yeah. Um, so just brutal things um, happening 
Um, I mean, I think that is far more believable coming from Russell Crowe than it would be from Glenn Ford. I think it would, it, I would not like to watch Glenn yeah, Ford no. quite as brutal <laughs> as, as Russell Crowe is. Yes, yeah. But I think it works really well for Russell Crowe. I think Russell Crowe's able to to, to pull that convey off. that very, yeah. very well, to portray that very, very well. Always, he's he is an actor that has, he does have a lot of intensity to him. It's just, it's a different form of intensity to that kind of quiet, charming intensity that, that Glenn Ford has. It's more, much more of a freight train intensity. Yeah. You know, that, that Russell Crowe has of just constant drive. You even think of him in what may be his most famous role in Gladiator. It's just constant. I know that's very heroic but it's the same kind of just constant, Roughness, unending, yeah. rough drive that just go, you know, he keeps going, keeps going. He yeah, he literally fighting, gets away from fighting. them and escapes from them and kills people like three or four different times before they even get to the town that they're going to. Um, but I do find Russell Crowe very, very compelling as that version of Ben Wade. And it does work very well for that movie because that is a, you know, the remake is a, like I said, it's a dusty, dry movie. It feels quite. It, it feels more. It feels dirtier. It feels yeah. grimier. It feels more dangerous of a movie. And I think there's there's not a safety to the nineteen fifty seven three ten to humor because, like I said, there's a there's a sweaty tightness. There's a claustrophobia. There's a kind of Bill, you know, real undercurrent, intense undercurrent to it. But I feel like anything could happen in the remake. And ultimately, I didn't know this story. So I didn't know where the end of, of 310 to Yuma was going to end. Yeah. But I, I, I felt like it would, you know, I, I, I did feel like the remake would end in a more violent way than the original did, having watched the two kind of somewhat back-to-back, -back, or at least having watched the two over the course of the same day. So when the ending of the remake becomes the very different ending that it yeah. is, it took me by surprise, but it makes sense for that movie, and it makes sense for the attitude of that movie. As a, because it's never trying to be the original. It's trying to be a readaptation of the original short story by Elmer Leonard, which was like from the early 50s. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not a remake of the movie almost. It's a readaptation of that particular story. Yeah. Which is the best kind of remake. These are the remakes that you want. Yeah. Not least of which because it's just a really well made movie as well. I think I think it's a really wonderfully brutally kind of entertaining modern western. I feel like you don't get too many modern westerns that are that are quite like that. We can have, you know, you think of Tarantino's couple of westerns they're very over stylized they've, they've got some you know more similarity in terms of style to spaghetti westerns really than anything else haven't they because they're yeah. very very 
music focused. They're very, very snappy, kind of stylish, snappy. And, yeah, they're very good. I really do like those two. Um, but you can also think of other modern westerns that are quite quiet. You know, they're lonesome kind of movies. Um, 310 to Yuma, the 2007 one, is, I mean, I say modern western, it's over 15 years old now. <laughs> well, I guess but, in comparison to the original film. <laughs> yeah. I think any any western this side of 2000 can, be, can still be considered a modern western, I think. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and even... No, no, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe westerns from 1980 to 2000 are in a realm of their own, perhaps. You know, Tombstone, yeah. uh, Young Guns, those kind of <laughs> style of western. Um, even Unforgiven, not that that's a similar style to Tombstone or Young Guns at all, but it's... Well, that's a movie all on its own, really, I suppose. Unforgiven, isn't it? It's Eastwood doing whatever Eastwood's homage to his past in Westerns, really, isn't it? That that's yeah. what that is. Um what well, anyway, why why am I talking about that? I I just <laughs> think to to get the Western as a genre growing in popularity or, or to, to help the Western retain some semblance of popularity today i think more westerns could go along the line of being like the remake of 310 to Yuma, action focused but genuinely really interesting as a character piece as well and something that feels stylistically fresh and not because I don't think it's wise to make modern westerns feel like older westerns. Because I think movies, you know, movies are of an age, and we know that from talking about them on this show. They they feel so different to movies yeah. today. They do, and not everybody likes that. This is why and usually, we you know, westerns seem... celebrating these movies yeah. because we we want to open people up to them we want to open them up to more people we want to say here's why you really should go and watch this movie here's why it's you know a really interesting movie to go and watch ultimately there will be people who just don't like the way these movies are made the style of them and i don't understand that because i absolutely love the style yeah. of, of these movies but i think the more I don't know, the more dynamic, action-focused nature of the the remake. If you made more Westerns like that now, I think it would help people open themselves up to the genre's past. And I would I would I would like that. And that's the biggest compliment I think I can pay to the remake. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. I yeah, would not I be mean, surprised if people prefer that to the original. Yeah, and it's it's very bleak and uh, I think a lot more gritty than the it is um, yeah. the original film, and I think people kind of like that, um, especially 
for a movie that takes place in the in the kind of the Western time, they just have this yeah, image. They feel like of, it should of, be dirty. Yes, yes, and so I think that makes it. Uh, I think that was an unnecessary change to have in terms of comparing the two. Um, the original, I think, plays into the vibe of Westerns at that time. Even if the ending was a bit tragic, there was always this kind of semblance of hope um, or the riding off into the sunset kind of trope that, you know, we all know of uh, kind of happening at the end of those films. So to have uh, a bit of redemption in the remake, but ending very bleak, um, I think that's uh, that was an interesting way to set it apart because I think, you know, changing an ending is kind of the biggest thing you can do when you're remaking something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you keep it the same, then it's really kind of like, what was the point? So I like that they took that bold chance to to make such a big change with, with how these movies um, ended. But, you know, for me, I, I think I prefer the more the more hopeful ending um, because I don't think I expected that to happen. Um, and I liked kind of the tightness of the original film and really feeling that ticking clock pressure. And I think you spoke to kind of the sweatiness and like um, when, you know, there was that kind of whole standoff when, um, you know, uh, Dan's side did have kind of other people willing to step up until they see kind of how big uh, uh, Ben's gang is. Yeah. Um, you see them kind of sweating and being nervous and still and not knowing what to do and panicked and, and uh, you know, uh, Dan constantly looking at his clock and, and Ben egging him on to the point where he throws his, his, his stopwatch. And um, now we don't know what the time is. And, uh, you know, yeah. th the building I mean of the time felt just like so much pressure about to just blow over. Whereas I think, uh, there was a lot of investment in kind of having this action kind of, you know, and Ben Foster going kind of crazy at the end that we lost a little bit of that, that pressure crunch. Um, I, I, I would agree. I think so. I think a lot of focus is drawn to the time in the original. A lot of focus is, is put on Van Heflin always looking at his pocket watch. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really it, it helps it's so seemingly simple and clever but it really helps intensify the movie um i mean the best western ever high noon i'll bring it up again oh also does that by constantly making you aware of the time yeah constantly making you aware of clocks constantly showing you clocks you made the joke last week that i ha had to keep bringing it up so i just had to throw it in it there again. yeah um but yeah i mean the way the way the original does end is like you said it's a it's an optimistic ending it's a hopeful ending like i said it's a movie about two opposing people getting an understanding of one another and I think Glenfold realizes the hardship of Dan's life. Um, you know, what he's going through, the fact that he's doing this dangerous job. You know, Ben understands it's a dangerous job. Ben is fully aware of his own celebrity almost, isn't he? Yeah. 
you know, he understands that this is a dangerous job for, for Dan to be doing. And then he realizes that he's doing it for seemingly a very small amount of money, but it's just the amount of money that he needs to, I think, get water back on his land or something like that to actually, you know, so his cattle can actually feed on his own land so he doesn't have to pay to go out and graze on other land yeah. and all this kind of stuff. You know, that's going to help him significantly. So it's really... It's these fine little edges, these fine little margins that are being played with by by Dan and and Ben understands that better or grows to understand that. And I think Dan grows to understand that really Ben's just doing what he does because not necessarily because he wants to, because he's been caught up in it. A situation. They're two men that's been that have been caught up in their own situations, maybe through no fault of their own, maybe through fault of their own. But that's not the important thing. It's helping each other, and then Ben does kind of help. You know, Dan at some point doesn't he? There, there there's a a bond that forms to a degree. I mean, it's not a friendship. Yeah. It's well, far I, I from think... a friendship. But there is a, a certain mutual understanding and realisation from Ben that Dan just really needs to get this job done. And it's almost one good deed from Ben, almost to clear his own head, that he helps his own capture basically yes because he he aids in his own yes and i think it's that determination in dan that he sees that is the turning point for him um him seeing that despite the odds against them you know it's just dan doing this on his own everyone else has dropped out nobody's helping him um uh dan in the remake has his son he's saying goodbye to and doing this um in the face of potentially you know leaving his family behind um that heflin it's his wife and he's and he's you know she's telling him don't do this don't do this and he's very much just smiling at her and telling her it's gonna be okay and you know i I just gotta get this done real quick and i'll be home and like not even addressing how dangerous this can be because he doesn't want to scare is, her and it and is so fact, very similar to his character in shame by the way yes and and so i think that's the turning point for ben to realize wow like i've done everything i can do to get out of this to scare him off to stop him you know i have the upper hand here and he's still willing to do this because it's in him to get this done it's in him to be this good person it's in him to to accomplish something um and feel worthy um in some way and you know feel noble in some way and so that that's enough i think seeing seeing dan's determination to get this done kind of knowing the odds are completely against him is what kind of has been step back and and really maybe put himself in dan's shoes for a minute and kind of understand what this means to him and and that's where that shift happens and i I think i think it works pretty well in both but um again i think i prefer how it plays in the original because um you know ben 
I feel like their time together felt like Ben was really kind of analyzing Dan more. Yeah, definitely. And because, you know, at first he's analyzing him just so he can kind of pick at him and play with him and, and mess with him. And over time that grows into this understanding of him and, and this low key respect for him. Um, uh, and then I think, I feel like because of just kind of how pitiful they make Christian Bale throughout that movie, um, I think Russell Crowe's, uh, feeling towards his version is peppered with some pity, <laughs> you I know? Think it's, it's way more that. It's yes. way more, it's I'm more sorry pity than it is. Yeah, it's more, I feel sorry for you. And is, but I, yes. I respect I respect your determination, but I also kind of feel sorry for you. So I'm going to make this easy on you. Um, whereas I think um, Glenn Ford's is way more out of kind of full respect. Out of, um, yeah, of just human respect for a human. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it it's almost as though Christian Bale is resigned to being a I don't know just a. I don't know what the right kind of phrase would be there, but he he's almost, yes, he's a human being, but in Russell Crowe's, you know, in that version of Ben's eyes, he's just an example almost yeah. of a, a, a failed man, which is yeah. a very miserable thing to think, but yeah. ultimately it, it, it is quite a miserable movie, the remake. And and the original does end, obviously. I mean, it ends how you would expect it to end. The train, the 310 to Yuma train arrives. They've been waiting for this. It's all built to this, the gang. You know, the way gang kind of has one last push to try and free Ben. Um, But, you know, the both of them, both Ben and Dan, end up getting Ben on the train. <laughs> yeah. Um. It ends, it ends up successfully, and we see the kind of final shot of the movie, or one of the final shots of the movie is just the, is the train going over this little mound, little ridge thing, and Dan's wife's just in the middle of the field on the yeah, road. Yeah, like she's somewhere. on the road, like I guess waiting for him in in the in the. In the hope that it's worth. Yeah, and she sees them. And, like, you know, when he's saying goodbye to her, he's trying to distract her away from thoughts of something happening to him. So he's telling her, I think it's going to rain, you know, it's going to grow some nice crops. And he's trying to, like, yes. And he's talking about, you know, how it's going to rain. And she's like, no, there's no way it's going to rain. And he's just trying to, like, throw some positive things her way. So then when she sees that he's made it out okay, that they're on the train, that they've kind of come to this mutual understanding, it starts to rain. So then it's this very kind of... And they need the rain. The the rain's a good thing because there's been a drought. That's why they're so down on the... With the ranch, you know, we're we're in very... It's it's, it's drought weather, so they need the rain. Yeah. Very, very, very very positive ending of that original them riding past on the train almost waving 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 goodbye yes hi hi you know so Um, it's a very hopeful i'm just gonna take ben i'm just gonna take ben to uh i forget where they were oh i mean to you to you (laughs) you. (laughs) 
stupid thing for me to say. Um, them going to Yuma. No, that going? wasn't the final destination. It was going to Yuma, and then they were going elsewhere from there. That was the. It's just the name of the train is the three ten to Yuma. That's the point. So, well, the yeah, it's going. Well, yeah, it's going to Yuma. Um. Um, so yes, yeah, very... they, they're waving past like I'll be back later. I'll get yeah, the next see, yeah. back once home, I drop him off. Yeah, there. yeah. Don't so very positive ending. Um, Not in the remake. <laughs> no, it's it's very miserable. Um, so they are trying to get to the train. I think they actually are, are a little late and almost miss the train. Um, yes. And you know, Logan Lerman's like lurking around too. Um and he does it. He succeeds. He gets him on the train. He gets him, you know, in the kind of locked up cage on the train. And even I, I liked that Russell Crowe was kind of like, you did it. Like he tells him, like, at a boy, you did it. And right at that moment, here comes creepy, grimy Ben Foster and shoots Christian Bale several times, uh, killing him as Logan Lerman is watching from a distance. So I think it's Logan Lerman's fault for not understanding what his dad was trying to do. I mean, yes, you would be frustrated, but ultimately, I mean, what's he supposed to do, Logan Lerman? Yeah, he has got one leg. He's just trying to do what he needs to do. Um, There's I a can, drought. They yes, they take an ailment from the um, the barmaid lady and give it to one of his kids. They do, <laughs> which I think was a little. They weird. do. He's literally he's the most pitiful character, and and he even says more pitiful things to Russell Crowe to have him pitying him even more. He's like, so yeah, I didn't lose my leg in the war. I lost it because one of my own guys on my side shot it off by accident. But you can't really tell that story without looking lame. And, you know, we never left because, you know, we had to stay and, and deal with all these people kind of harassing us and owing people money because this was the best area for our son who, you know, couldn't breathe. And he, this is the best place where he could breathe because he was sick, which was something that the bar made lady was like, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, I have to be here because, you know, it's the best place where I can breathe and blah, blah. So, yeah, he's just telling him all these more pathetic things about himself to where Russell Crowe. Yeah, so I wish that switch would have come, would have felt like it. it's coming more out of a mutual respect at his determination than just like, oh man, this guy's just pitiful. I gotta, I gotta well, do something. Yeah, but what I, I do like about the ending, and it's very bleak. I mean, we yes. don't want to see yeah. Dan die, and he ultimately does die in the remake in in the arms of his his son logan Lerman. yes um, and, and he's uh, telling uh, him dad you did it dad you did it and so yeah. you know he's finally able to put his resentment for his father aside and see what he's been trying to do this whole time and who his father really is that he's willing to you know get this done no matter what and then i think russell crowe kind of redeems his his kind of turn by once he sees you know what ben foster did he ends up killing his whole gang he does you know, out of really kind of he yes ben foster yes he kind of avenges dan so i like that you know he he has this appreciation for him that like um you know uh, ben foster didn't have to do that 
he didn't have to shoot him, but he did. Oh, no, and... he's got no reason to at all. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah and Russell Crowe steps back on the train. And again, at that point, he could have probably just walked off absolutely fine. There was nobody around. His entire gang, he'd just killed his entire gang. Yeah. Um. I don't think there was any lawman. No, I mean, Logan Lerman pulls the gun on him for a minute. He does, but Russell Crowe kind of gives him a look as just to say, just put it down, I'm going on the train. Yes, and he gets on the train, he gets in the little cage, and, um, you know. That's where that movie ends. Yes, and keeps that, the the legacy of what Dan was trying to do kind of alive with that. Um, So, yeah, very, very bleak ending, but I think ultimately... Um, you know, I think Dan is able to redeem himself by the end. Um, I think that version of Ben uh, makes sense of his turn by the end. Because, yeah, I had a hard time really feeling, you know, like I said, feeling like the turn uh, didn't just come out of feeling completely sorry for <laughs> for Dan. Um, but ultimately, when you see him, like, go take that step further and kill his whole gang and... Uh, you know, really face off with uh, Ben Foster to prove like you didn't have to do this, like you didn't have to, you know, kill Dan the way you did, um, and stand up for Dan and then uh, you know avenge him like that. Um, I think that helped turn it around for me. Um, yeah, but but ultimately, I think I appreciate the kind of respect between the two men more in the original film. I I I think so too. I mean, they're both they're very different versions of the same story both movie i mean we we talk about which movie's better like i think it's tough to say that because they're ultimately too different i think to to compare which i just think is a wonderful thing for a remake to be i just think both are very very worthwhile movies if you want a ultimately kind of more I suppose emotional and tense and kind of ultimately hopeful movie that has its noir sensibilities, like I say, that has its really interesting lighting going on, has its its sweatiness and its kind of its charm. And I mean that in terms of the way the characters are trying to get into each other's psyches. Yes, and I mean even... Original. Yes. But if you want uh, what ends up being a, a kind of more dynamic action type movie, then watch, you know, that, that ends up being nastier, ends yeah. up being bleaker, then watch the remake. Both are very, very good movies. Yes, yes. I, I did enjoy both of them. I, I appreciated that the remake did try to do something different with it. We're not just watching, you know, a, a, a you know, scene to scene kind of remake um, uh, and carbon copy just done. Because, yeah, I mean, like I said, a lot of our deja vus end up being the remake, just stretching its runtime with unnecessary details, nothing that adds to the characters. And then everything else is pretty much the same, but just done not as well. Um this yes, let's recall of... <laughs> another Glenn Ford-based deja vu, Ransom. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> which extended it so much to an unnecessary degree. Yeah. That Mel Gibson ransom movie and uh, Glenn Ford's ransom was so straightforward and to the point. Yes. Uh, and and they, yeah, they really did try to pad that out. Um, I do just want to shout out Henry Jones. Um, he was kind of a, a deputy, like he was the town drunk, which, you know, I guess we have a lot oh, of town, yes, town yes, drunks no. stepping up in, in this series. Um, and, I, you know, I know him very well and loved him in uh, The Bad Seed. Uh, he's great in that film. Yes, yes. of course he is, yes. isn't he? So um, to see him here and, and even uh, to have Dan really kind of like back him up because he ends up getting killed by one of the gang members. And, uh, you know, when everyone else kind of runs out on them, he's like, we I, we had the town drunk step up and stand up for this. And you're just going to kind of all run off like, you know. Yeah. So so I like that, you know, always trust the town drunk. So, yeah, to to have, you know, that drive to to want to like, you know, be more than that at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, we did Great get some good side characters with Peter Fonda and Alan Tudyk. Uh, Dallas Roberts. Yes, in, in the um, remake. In the remake, yeah. 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 Alan Tudyk's playing a vet that ends up kind of kind of coming along to just be because I, Peter Fonda gets brutally attacked in that first kind of train or wagon yeah. heist, and and so they need kind of somebody to to keep and he but he's determined to go along and you know see justice done to to Ben. So, um, you know, they bring Alan Tudyk along to kind of watch. And then Dallas Roberts is that Butterfield, the, the guy who did get robbed. Uh, so, you know, um, but they all kind of end up getting picked off one by one, essentially. Um, by All so. you've reminded me now is that Henry Jones in The Bad Seed is just the most horrible person. Yes. But he's the only one who understands. That he, she's yeah, he a sees that person. she's terrible. Yeah. So I love that he's, he's kind of so like, evil. I love that he's a foil to her and like really gets her scared. And yeah, like it's just you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine a character to. You you wouldn't imagine enjoying a character yes. who says all these terrible to things about like a ten year old girl and directly like to her. He's like, "You yes. are the you are the devil child. I hate you. Yes. You're the you, you're the worst person in the entire world. I hope you die, ten year old." Yes, you love him for like, calling yeah, her enough, out. Yeah. <laughs> you love him for calling her out, but he's kind of terrible as well. Um. So so yes. Um. Just shout out to Henry Jones. I was happy to see him because bad seed was a movie i grew up watching and like he was always one of our favorite parts of that movie and uh yeah he he was great in this as well so great movie there is an episode of this show talking about the bad seed this was before you came along onto the show but i did suggest it it. a recommendation yes yes (laughs) it was it was well i think there we go unless we have anything else to say no great movies both Yes, 310 to humour. I suppose this extended deja vu that we've had today, a nice full comparative discussion, not one of the silly deja vus where we just talked for 10 minutes at the end because it wasn't very good. (laughs) This is a full proper deja vu that we've had today. and It gets us, I suppose, in the mood for what will come next week. Yes. Not just two movies next week, but it'll be three movies. Yes, with probably some uh, honourable mentions. (laughs) 
quite possibly, yeah, because yeah. there's a lot that's taken from from this story, from this uh, world, from this particular yes. movie. But it'll be a nice, big, juicy retrospective. I've loved doing retrospectives. We did it for Beauty and the Beast. We did it for, um, what was the other one we did it for? Oh, we, Zorro. We little Women. Little Women, Zorro. So, you know, Zorro. Yeah, we've taken many versions of a film and then kind of analyzed them and broke them down. So we're going to be doing that with some westerns and things. So some westerns uh, and things, yes. <laughs> yeah, two westerns and one non-western. Yes, one <laughs> eastern, if you want to call <laughs> yes, it that. Very good. Very we, good. We, we all know what it is. We might as well say yeah. what it is. But this has been three ten to Yuma. 1957 and it's 2007 remake we should say as well the 1957 one directed by delma davis really quite well and um a columbia movie so obviously it had glenn ford in it we do like glenn ford it's nice to have glenn yes. ford back on the main and show and Van director Heffley. of photography <laughs> charles lawton jr yes but not spelt the same so <laughs> You're not you're not having it as a Charles Law movie. It's not Charles Darn. Law. It's got nothing Darn. to do with Charles Law. Darn. It's got absolutely nothing to do with Charles Law at all. <laughs> Unfortunately, that would have been very funny. Yes. Had it have some had it had have something, something to, do to do with our uh, precious with Charles <laughs> Our Stay precious Charles Law. Yeah. Um but next week it will be our big we've wanted to do it for so so long yes we've finally put the time in because the time is required because the long movies for a big magnificent seven retrospective yes this will be kurosawa's seven samurai john sturgis's the magnificent seven and Antoine Fuqua's remake of The Magnificent yes. Seven <laughs> from 2016, I think it was. Um, we're gonna, and that's that's gonna be very, very interesting. I mean, especially the comparison, obviously, between the two older movies, between Seven Samurai and Magnificent Seven, something that takes that movie and literally you know, for all accounts, just brings it over from a samurai to a western. Yes, <laughs> yes. The entire story is just transferred in that way. It'd be very, very interesting to see just yeah. what differences are made, just the different sensibilities in the way that both of those movies are made. I have never actually seen the original Magnificent Seven. I have seen both ne other movies. Neither have I. I've never seen the 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 original Magnificent Seven. I haven't watched Seven Samurai in a long many years. Yeah, so it's been nice a long to time. Put that back on. Well. Um, I think I can picture now what we're going to say is because Seven Samurai is a very muddy, wet, rainy movie. Yeah, <laughs> and the Magnificent <laughs> Seven is very a, a very again, dry, kind of western, arid <laughs> movie. Yeah. yeah. And and there's there's the difference there. Everybody gets filthy and disgusting and grimy and muddy in Seven Samurai. It's more kind of hearty 
Magnificent Seven seems to have its, uh, I mean, it's got its big famous score and all that. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I'm it's going to be a great discussion, it, I think. Really. It's been a long while, actually, since Kurosawa's been on uh, the main show. I don't think, actually, Janine, the two of us, have ever talked a Kurosawa movie no, on this not. show. I know we have talked a couple of them, myself and uh, Nolan, in the past. But, yes, there we go. That is what's coming next week. Look forward to it. It's going to be very, very wonderful, as it always is, on It's a Wonderful Podcast, this show, the main show, where we celebrate old movies, we discover new old movies. Much like we actually discovered 310 to Yuma. I mean, we were aware, well, well, yes, aware. Yes, yeah, I had never seen either. So, But no, hadn't watched them ourselves. Now we have. Now we have. Uh, but we like to give these movies more of a push. We like to open them up to more people. Celebrating older movies, that is our staple. That is our main goal of this mm. show and the it's a wonderful podcast feed but we do have monday madness on mondays as well which is our topical show our kickback show as janine likes to say where we have fun we talk we have movie reviews for new things we talk news and play some games and have big discussions on what's going on and all that kind of stuff we also have morgan hasn't seen every wednesday where we are talking game movies all yes. May long, Janine, in all their varying forms of games. <laughs> That's been exciting so far as well. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed on all major podcast platforms. We do also have the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel for you, subs for you to subscribe and ding your notification bells over on if you haven't already for all the fun stuff we have over there. If you would like to support us on Patreon or donate in any such way, there are links in the description to do that. We can't do what we do without that wonderful support. I mean, Janine has a new microphone. I do. So thank you to the lovely patrons for helping, uh, you know, contribute to me getting some better sound and upgrading. I've had that microphone since I came on the show so yes, uh yeah it, it it died and <laughs> it was time so thank you to the lovely patrons for your contributions to supporting us that helps us get things like new microphones that we need to do these shows so exactly greatly we appreciate we it we can't do what we do without that generous support and we love them all dearly um you can also of course find us on twitter and it's a wonderful one. You can find me on Twitter at the Purple Dot with a three instead of the E and the because Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram and TikTok at the Purple Don. All your intense train loving. Are you getting there for three ten in the afternoon? I don't know. You better had to, otherwise you'll miss the train. Have you ever gotten <laughs> on a three ten train? I kind of want to now and just see what happens. I mean, we took a train, but I don't think it was at 310. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was in the morning. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can find me at JaninaBean underscore on Twitter, JaninaBean on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the link in the description or search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. Oh, is there a good impression? I mean, we can't just have 
random Western people. Glenn Ford's not got a really distinctive voice, even though he is Canadian, so you should be proud there, Janine. Yeah, very proud. Fellow Canadians. Um, maybe Christian Bale's real voice, if you can do that. <laughs> no, I think you can probably do that better than me. I, I struggle to do Christian Bale's real voice. I don't know. Anything you want, Janine, count us down. The train's here, the train. Please step for please step off the platform so you don't get run over by the train. Bye. Bye. <laughs>